Hi, my name is Ben, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website at publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Man, I'm so excited to be here this morning. I I just want to, you've already heard truth this morning and what you've already said and and sung and worshiped. And there's so much truth in that. And there's not like a separation of like worship just happens here and then teaching happens here. But we're teaching ourselves and we sing these songs and we sing about the extravagant love of Jesus. There's so much power in that. So I'm so excited to be here and to hear you guys sing. You're amazing. And I love that. And I'm, I'm honored, my name's Matt, by the way, hi, and I'm honored to be here this morning to speak in the Poured Out series. Because the Poured Out series, if you've never been here before, you don't know anything about public church, this series is really like a, helps us see the heartbeat, it's a reset, it's a lifestyle marker for how public church should look, look and live. And, and it's, it's a resetting a reminder of who put this thing into place in the first place and why we do what we do. So if you're here checking us out, this is a great Sunday to be here. If you don't know anything about Jesus, it's a great Sunday to hear about the heart that Jesus has for you. And if you're here and you've been here from the very beginning, it is a great reminder to be a part of this. So I'm so glad to be in this. This is the second week we've been in this series. And last week, Todd did an amazing job and, and spoke about um, how our hearts should be. And he kept saying this one phrase over and over again, and we won't put it up on the screen. And it says this, it is a poured out life is marked by generosity towards and sacrifice for others. A poured out life is marked by generosity towards and sacrifice for others. And I, and I hear that phrase and I like that phrase, but I have a question. And maybe it's a question you should ask yourself. I'm asking myself this, am I generous? Am I a generous person? Like, am I really generous when it comes to my money, when it comes to my time, when it comes to, I'll be honest, I'll just have a just real moment with you for a second. I'm not the most generous person. And I can tell that because how I feel about gum. Not like the gums around my teeth, but this kind of gum. Now, who, who likes gum? Anybody in the house a gum fan? There's a few people. Like, I love having gum. I like having it in my pocket. I like having some. I am stingy with it. I'm stingy to myself about it. I only to get like a half piece. Any of you half piece people? Like, I just get a half piece. And I do not like, this is what I do. I have perfected the ability to open up a pack of gum in my pocket and not look weird while I'm doing it and get a half piece out. And, and be able just to have a piece of gum. Who, who, who likes gum? Anybody on this side over here? I'm going to throw this and just hope it doesn't put your eye out. Now, we'll see how generous you are by how much gum is still in that pack at the end. Because what I don't like to do is to pull that pack out and then someone see me have gum. Because you know what your first response is. We're if you don't want gum. You see the gum. You're like, uh, hey, uh, can I have a piece of gum? Or they'll do the thing where they act like they don't know that you have gum, but they know you have gum. Like, uh, you got any gum? You haven't had any gum? And it's like, because I want to lie so badly, but I know they saw me get it and they saw me put it in my mouth. And so I have to give it away and I don't like it. And there's more gum at Walgreens, man. There's so much gum out there. But I, I get worried about it. I think we do the same thing in our, when generosity, because is it really generosity? Is it really generosity if it doesn't cost us something? If there's no sacrifice involved? Is it really generosity? It's easy for us to give what's expected or what's needed, but do we go beyond that? I think generosity is defined by that, that we go beyond what's expected. And we just don't give what we have left over. Think about when someone asks you to do something and you're like, you don't, we, we don't get very committal with stuff sometimes. I know I'm this way, because I'm kind of waiting for the better option to roll around. So like, hey, do you want to go do this? I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Maybe I'll go see a movie or maybe I'll sleep, but I don't know if I want to do that because I'm, with my time, I, I, I don't have that generosity to give to somebody else or do other things. I think there's some barriers for us 
There's two barriers. It's not the only two barriers, but there's two barriers that I see that are pretty obvious that keep us from being generous people, that, that come up and, and, and stop us. The first one is one that we talked about last week a little bit, which is scarcity. Scarcity, that we don't have enough. We don't have enough. So I'm gonna ask you real quick, um, just amongst the people you're with, I want you to ask this question, answer this question. How much money do you think you would need, like net assets, like income and like house, all this stuff. How much money do you think you would need on an annual basis to be, to say, I've got enough, I'm comfortable. So talk to your person around you real quick. Just go, go for it, it'll be fine. Talk now, go. All right, all right. Now, who, uh, who said $1, anybody $1, Bob? No, no. Now, I'm thinking, I'm thinking no one in the house said I need my mega millions or whatever, but you probably came up with a, a decent number. You probably didn't wanna like, cause you're talking to someone else. And you're like, well, I don't want to seem like I'm just a greedy person. So, so I, I can get by with 30,000 or I can get by with 20,000 or I can get by with 40, whatever. So you're like, there's no way I could get by with that. <laughs> I need so much more. But here's, here's the thing. They did a study where they asked people to write down like what they needed, net assets, what they actually needed to survive, to be comfortable, mind you, comfortable. And the respondents came back with this number. 1.4 million was the average of people being comfortable. And everyone in their house was like, oh, I, I could be comfortable with 1.4 million. <laughs> Let's make that work. And, and here's the thing, 1.4 million to be comfortable, to be able to have a life that they wanted, it was 1.4 million. And so when we think about that, there's only like 10% of our U.S. population that has that kind of money. So that means that there's others of us that sit and think, I wish I could have more. I could just be comfortable. And we live in this scarcity mindset. It's not just it's just not the finances, but it's our time. It's what we give. It's how we, 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 we spend time with people and friends and, and other things. And so we live in this scarcity mindset. And uh, the, the podcast Hidden Brain did, did a study about scarcity. I don't know if you are nerds and listen to Hidden Brain, but it's really good. If you're a nerd, you'll enjoy it. And the Hidden Brain thing talks about like different aspects of how our mind works, even when we're not thinking about it, how our mind responds to things. And they looked at scarcity. And they didn't want to do like a weird study, like take some Americans and take their home away from them for a little bit. So they went to India. They didn't take home, homes away from people from India. But what they did, they went to sugarcane farmers in India because they get paid once a year, every year at harvest. And they studied them over like a year and a half, two years, and they looked at their practices in their home. So when they get paid after the harvest, there is like joy in the village. People are at rest. They, 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 take, they make good decisions for themselves, for their own health, for their family's health. For other people, worry does not run rampant. But two or three months before harvest comes, when things look scarce, they begin to tunnel in. They begin this tunnel vision where it's like, oh my gosh, are we gonna survive? We're not gonna eat as much right now because if we don't have enough, we can't do this. And how many of us look that same way? We get that tunnel vision where, where we see things Maybe it's right now you're getting toward the end of the semester and tunnel vision's hit in. You're like, oh no, I've got to study. I've actually got to study to pass this class. Or we look at the end of the year, our finances, like Christmas is coming. How are we going to survive? And we go through this place and we go through these things. Maybe it's spiritually. We're like, I'm going through this time. I only have so much. And we get this place of tunnel vision. And what they said was like, you'll make decisions to get you through that scarce time, but the decisions you make in that scarce time don't help you over long term. You begin to have practices in that time of scarcity that affects you over the long term of who you actually want to be and to live a healthy life. And so they said the way to change the mind of scarcity, to get our brain to reset is, and this was their words, not mine, is to look up. To look up and look at the perspective. Get perspective of where you are. Look up and see that the harvest is coming. Finances are coming. Things are coming for you. But you don't see that coming with your television. So the, the heart is to look up. And I think for a lot of us, today might be a day that you can just look up for a second. 
take a Take a break from the tunnel visions you're sitting in, the fear you're sitting in, the worry you're sitting in, the things when you think, we think about money, you think about time, I have nothing less left to give, that we can look up for a second and see, man, there may be more here than what I'm, what I'm seeing. The second place, the second barrier, the first barrier is scarcity, then the other barrier is abundance, that we actually have maybe too much and we, and we think we actually might need more. Uh, studies show that the people who are the most giving it won't go state by state. The states that have the lowest median income give twice as much as the states that give that have the most median income. Twice as much. The people that have a lot want more. People that have a lot want more, and we want to hold on to more. In fact, a lot of us look for early retirement. We're, we're trying to get retired by 50, 55. There's a new trend amongst 20-year-olds that's happening where people are seeking to get, retire by 30. And people are like, I like that idea. I also would like to retire at 30. And so they, they, they get this tunnel vision to that one point at 30. And so they, they push their lives in. They, they ride their bikes everywhere. They save money. They do all these practices so they can have the life that they want for the rest of their lives where it's all about them. I can travel to the place I want to go to. I can have the life I want to lead and not have to work ever again. And I think that mindset is in, in our culture, in our world that becomes about us. But I do not think for a second that public church is that. I don't think the heart of public church is that. In fact, your core values speak differently to that. One of your core values is this. It says, we generously pour out our resources for a mission bigger than ourselves. We pour out our resources for a mission bigger than ourselves. And, 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 and from this core value, if you're a part of public church, you need to ask yourself this question. Is the church generous? Are we generous or am I generous? Is the church generous or am I generous? Because the church is made up of a lot of eyes, a lot of individuals, a lot of people. And we approach this, and they're gonna say, it's gonna be two words that a lot of us hate in the room. We approach it like a group project. <laughs> yeah, I know there's people like, oh no, there's fear in your heart. Some people, because you're on a group project with people that you don't like. The other one is like, because, oh, I have to actually finish my group project and do stuff. Because what a group project does, it, 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 it kind of separates people out. What it does, because when I was in college, I loved them because I knew that I didn't necessarily have to give maximum effort, <laughs> that I could come in, because there would be someone that would, there was some nerd in my group that would be like, oh, and I gotta do everything. And, and, and other people like myself is like, I don't have to try as hard, because they're gonna get us to the A, it's fine. They're gonna go nuts. And if you're in the room and you're groaning, you're that person that's the nerd, and you're like, and no offense, but, but you're like, I, I gotta get an A, and I will not put up with your C effort. I will come in and do your work. Do not come to the last minute. Don't tell me you can't show up to all our meetings and only come to the last one. Like, and that's what we do sometimes with church. We're like, oh yes, I am a part of this group that got an A. I did very little, but I got an A, Woohoo! And there's others of us that come and say, well, I am the reason we got an A. And here's the thing, we're in this, when we're part of a gathering, we're a part of the church, the body of Christ, we are a part of a group project and we need to be responsible for the part that we have. We don't have to do it all. We were never meant to do it all. And some of us run ragged trying to do it all. And some of us don't do anything because we like to see what others do and say that we're part of it, tag our name in it. And I'm telling you that we are called to come be responsible for the part that we have. The part that you and I have, because here's the deal. A lot of us can get caught up with the where, where we serve, what we do. I want, it, I want us to break it down and make it smaller for us because we are serving a people, not a place. We serve individuals. We don't serve a building. We don't serve a thing. And in this poured out series, this mindset can be that I'm pouring out, I'm pouring out, I'm pouring out, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. And so before you get burnt out and poured out, you need to see this next core value, which I think is incredibly important, which is this. It's that, that we depend on God's limitless power through prayer. 
that we depend on God's limitless power through prayer, that there is a God who has way more assets and way more ability than what we can hold in our hands and what we can see in the moment when we get in that tunnel vision and think, I don't have anything or I'm doing too much, that God's saying, I have this. Would you look to me? Would you respond to me? Would you see what I'm doing and not feel like you're tapped out? And a lot of us live lives like we are the ones responsible. Like when you're a teenager and you get a car and, you, and your parents say, you cannot drive that car anymore. And like, well, it's my car. And then they pull this thing. Well, who paid for the car, son? It is my car. And he's like, well, don't touch my phone, mom or dad. Who paid for that phone? It's mom or dad. Most of us, right? And the thing is this. We need to realize that God has the ability to give us more than we could ever imagine. Because our income, working at Chick-fil-A, is not going to cut it. But God has way more, way more to give than we actually look up and see. That he is limitless in his power and limitless in his ability to give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. So here's the deal. This is the message. Today's message, if you could just take a sentence, if you could take something and like remember it, write it down, put it somewhere. If you, if, you, if you check out for the rest of the time and do shopping for Christmas on Amazon, this is the one thing you need to focus on right here. This is the message for today. To live a poured out life, which we all say we want to do, we must place ourselves in position to be poured into and to be poured out. A lot of people just say, I, I'm pouring out all the time and I, I can't get poured into and I, I, I just need to be poured into. But if you're only getting poured into, then you're missing the part and the joy of being poured out. And if you're always pouring out and you're never getting poured into, then you're missing the purpose of why you're pouring poured into and why you're pouring out. We need to see there has to be a balance. There has to be a thing because there is a freedom in being poured in and being poured out. And, and, and here's, here's, here's the thing. We want to look at a scripture this morning. I, I want to look at um, we're actually going to look in Luke, but this, this story is told in all four Gospels. In fact, it's the, only the second story. The other, only, there's only two stories that are told in all four Gospels. The first of those stories being the, the, the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And this story. This story is the story of the fish and the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000. And you're like, well, why, why, would you, why would they have it in there so many times? Um, that's because it happened, for one. And I think it's so unbelievable for some people to say, well, why would that happen? I don't, I feel like there's a little mystery there. I feel like there's a little, somebody's just trying to say stuff to get us excited about Jesus. And so every gospel shares a part of that. Every writer, every eyewitness that was there shared it and told about it. And we want to look at Luke because I love Luke. I love that he has this passion to know Jesus so much. Because he wasn't a Jewish person. He didn't ra wasn't raised in a Jewish family. He was a Gentile. He was a Greek. He was a lot like you and I more than anyone else in Scripture. And he was a doctor, and that might have moved us from some of us. Like, I'm not a doctor, Matt. But here's what he did. He's a doctor, and he was detail-oriented. He interviewed people. He sat with eyewitnesses, not just the people that were the disciples, but people that actually experienced it. And there's no doubt in my mind that he sat across from some people and interviewed them about that day out in the wilderness where Jesus fed 5,000 people. So I'm going to look at the book of Luke, and I'm going to actually read this in chapter 9. I'm going to read just through the whole passage, because sometimes when we get at Scripture, sometimes we just like take a verse, and we, we put it on Pinterest or whatever you do now, and, 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 we, and we like the verse, and we kind of just read and look for the nugget. And I want us to just to hear the story together. So maybe you just need to listen for a second before you write notes down. We're going to walk through every verse in just a second. But I just want us to hear the story together. So I'm going to read it um, in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 10. And when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped away quietly with them toward the town of Bethsaida. 
But the, the, crowds fo- <clears throat> the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and, and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go out and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So, Jesus, or, so the people all sat down and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up the 12 baskets, picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. And I love, I love this this telling, I love this passage because it really puts us in a framework to look at Jesus. Sometimes we just we hear this, this story, maybe you grew up in the church. And you've heard this thing and somebody gave you like a goldfish cracker and that's what you remember. You're like, I love goldfish now. Maybe that's where, you, where, you, where you're at. But I think there's more to that than what we see. And we can see how Jesus interacted with people and his love for people and how we can emulate what Jesus did in this story. So in the first verse, verse 10, uh, that we pick up says, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. And what had happened prior to this verse was the disciples had been sent out. Jesus sent them out to do a work, man, to do ministry. And they did amazing things, things that they couldn't even believe. And, they, and I promise you, they were tired. Jesus recognized that. So when they all gathered back together, he said, hey, guys, let's get away. Why don't you come follow me? Because this was the pattern of what Jesus did. Jesus, throughout scripture, is always doing a work, but then pulling away to be with the Father and refreshing his heart. And what he's saying is like, you guys come with me. I wanna show you what it's like to retreat, what it's like to breathe in what God's done and to celebrate what he's done and just to pull away for a little bit. And I guarantee you this morning, there are people in this room and you're like, I would like that very much, please. I want to step away from the things that are on my life. I would like to get away from my roommate. I would, like to, I would like to step away from my family. I would like to step away from some situations that I just feel burnt out in and worn out in. And that is not a bad feeling. Jesus pulled away from people. Jesus stepped away, not because he was never going back, because he needed God to pour into him and refresh his heart. And this is what he's telling his disciples, like, I want you to come with me. This is what we're gonna do. So they get into a boat on the Sea of Galilee and travel from one side of the, the sea to the other. And then we pick up, and this is what happens to a lot of us. We pick up in the next verse. Check this out. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. And how many times when you need a break, when you're trying to get away, when you say, I'm going to have my quiet time this morning, I'm going to get up early and get away, or I'm going to, I'm going to pull away this afternoon and then find some time just to be with Jesus. You go and you step away, and then somebody shoots you a text like, hey, can you talk? Or someone knocks on your door, or someone just shows up in your face. It's like, hey, I need this. Or the, ki- the baby starts crying in the room after you got all the kids down to sleep. And he's like, I can finally have a moment just to breathe. And this child starts crying. You're like, Lord, just send someone to take care of this child. Like you're, you're, you get to the end of your rope and you think to yourself, I've got nothing left. And what we see Jesus do here is not say, get away from me. <laughs> he doesn't, get, when they, get, when they go, get off the boat. He's not like, well, there's people here too. Let's get back in the boat and go somewhere else. Like people actually ran. They got there faster than the boat did. They ran. There were people waiting for him when he arrived. And Jesus didn't run away. Jesus didn't run away. What does Jesus do? He welcomed them. He taught them about the kingdom of God. 
and he healed them. He saw them as individuals, not as a group, not as a project. Sometimes we get in trouble, man. We get in so much trouble when we look at a, a people group and call them by a name. And when we call them by a name, we lose the individuals in it. We've seen this in our political climate in the last several years where people say, this side's wrong, this side's wrong, these people are wrong, these things are bad. And we, and we say those things and we dehumanize the people that are there, the individuals that are there. Maybe you're a teacher and you look at your second block and you're like, I hate my second block. But there's individuals that need Jesus in that group. Maybe it's that group project and you hate the people in your group project. But God put you in that group for a purpose. And so what Jesus does here in this moment is that he just says, okay, let me speak to them. Let me speak life in them. And he, he sees a need in front of them. And we have that tension, but Jesus shows us, listen, I'm going to keep pouring in. God's going to be sustain me in this moment to pour in because he's put the people right in front of me, the people right in front of you and me. Maybe we need to, to respond to God in a way that says, okay, you've given me them. I don't have anything left here, but you help me. Show me what needs to happen. And honestly, a lot of us respond in the way that disciples do because look at what the disciples do. In verse 12, it says, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him. And said, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat in this remote place. And disciples do something that I think I do a lot. Maybe you do a lot. If you don't, maybe you're really holy. But what we do a lot of times is we, we know that we're at the end of our rope. We know that we're tired. We know that we don't really want to do that because we have other things we want to do or we want to hold out for the better option. And so we just tell Jesus what he needs to do for us. And we, and see, the disciples, they notice what's going on. They know there's people that are hungry. They know there's people that are tired. And they see the need just like Jesus saw the need. But their response is, do something with them. Send them away. Do anything but ask me to do something. And we see people, and we see people that are hurting and people that are difficult and people that wear us out. Like, Lord, send somebody else to do it. We hear somebody say, man, we need to give and help grow the church or, or, or help do this ministry or go to D.C. And we're like, good, that's a great thing. God, send somebody else to do it. I want to keep my options and save my money for spring break and do the thing I want to do. And, and, and we miss this. And, and, and I'll I be honest, like a lot of us, and maybe you're like me, that you look at this and you're like, man, those disciples are idiots. A bunch of idiot disciples doing their idiot stuff. Weirdos are selfish and terrible. They're like me and you. We rag them for their humanity, but God loved them for their humanity. God loves you for your humanity. We would be we very well served to stand before God and just say, Lord, take my humanity. I embrace it. I know I'm a human. I know I failed. But you came here, became a human to serve humans, to show humans that we don't have to stay where we are so we can bring light to where we are and we can move forward and go forward with you to where you're going. We don't have to stay here. And a lot of us, we argue with God because we look back at our failures, back at our past, back at all the things we lack, and we tell God, no, 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 you can't do anything with me. I can't do any good because of what I've done. And God's like, I want to bring you. Jesus is saying, I want to come alongside you and show you. Your past doesn't matter to me. I can use you right with what you have, where you are. That's what I came here for. I didn't wait for you to be perfect. I'm right here with you. So we see Jesus come in here and we need to understand how much Jesus loves us from this setting, how much he cares for us because we could take this next verse as him being just mean Jesus and mean God. But look at what this next verse says. He says, you feed them. 
<laughs> he's not, he doesn't like, well, we'll figure something out, guys. Come on. You know, there, I saw Hardy's back there. Maybe they can make a biscuit. Like, that's not what he's saying. He says, you feed them. And I think the reason he said this was to, to set their minds towards something, to get their minds toward, not that he doesn't care about the people. He saw the people. And now that he didn't care about the disciples, he saw them, but they needed to see that their suggestions and their things weren't gonna go anywhere. They needed him. Because look at this next part. When he says, you feed them, what do they do? They say, well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd and to, to pay for the whole crowd? There was a thought. We, we hear 5,000, but it was 5,000 men. The, the estimates are there's probably about 20,000 people there. 20,000 people. Out of 20,000 people, it would take eight months worth of wages to pay for them to all have something. And I was like, there's no way we can afford that, Jesus. And they said, we only have five loaves and two fish. Or, yeah, two, yeah, five loaves and two fish. And they said, listen, we have these five loaves and two fish. And, and, and other passages and, and, and where it talks about that there's a little boy said, hey, I've got two loaves and I've got, the, I've got the bread, I've got the fish, man. My mom packed me a lunch. So here you go. I promise you out of 20,000 people, someone else had something. There had to be a mom in the group. You've got a mom in your friend group right? Because you've got the person, you go to like, hey, you got a granola bar? Who in the house just this morning, who has like a cracker or granola bar in their purse or pocket somewhere? Thank you. I just want to, I just want to, if there's, if there's 200 people here, right? If there's people that have granola bar, there's some people that had there, but you don't hear anyone else raise their hand, anyone else say, I've got something, because they looked around and said, there's way too many people here for me to feed with what I have. But this boy just said, hey, I got some fish, I got some bread. Y'all can take it, man. And so disciples, out of those people, this one kid says something. And he comes there and says, listen, I've got the bread, I've got the loaves. And they're like, this is all we have. And the disciples need to see they had nothing left. They need to look around their circumstance, look up from their circumstance for a second and say, I can't fix this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I can't manufacture anything here. We're at the end of our rope, Jesus. We can't do anything And that's a really great place to be. To know that we're at the end of our rope is probably the most reality-thinking thing we could ever think of. The most refreshing thing. A lot of us don't think about that being refreshing, but we can say, regardless of what I have or what I don't have, I'm at the end of my rope because Jesus has everything. In fact, Jesus says this in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, when he's teaching Matthew 5, 3, the verse in the message, it says this, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. But we don't think about that in our space, in our world. When we're at the end of a rope, we're like, oh no, I can only see this much. I'm done. And Jesus is telling us, look up. Get out of your tunnel and look up. Look at what I can do because there's a shift in the verses here. There's a shift. Once they come to a place where like, well, I can't do anything else. Jesus starts to, 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 to handle the scene a little differently. Let's look at the next passage here. Verse 14, so there's about 5,000 men there and Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. You're like, well, why would he tell them to sit in groups of 50? One thing is in the Jewish culture, when they had like a big meal or a big setting like that, they would sit in smaller groups. The reason they sat in smaller groups, and I think the reason Jesus wanted them to sit in smaller groups so badly is because Jesus wanted to be sure that no one missed out on what he's about to do. And a lot of people, sometimes they get weird about organization, like I'm not organized, but you know, I'm just gonna let the spirit lead me. It'll be fine. I think the spirit leads us to organization because, you know, and we, we resist it, but I think Jesus pushes us to that and gives us that ability to organize. So you, you people that are OCD in the room and you're worried about being organized and like, does the spirit lead me? Yeah, he does because he doesn't want us to miss anything. He doesn't want us to miss a person. Every person there he saw, every individual he saw, he knew their needs, he knew their heart and he wanted his disciples to see every single person is important because every single person in this room is important. 
Your cares, your needs, your worries are important to Jesus. And when you're looking here, you can only see them, but look up and see what he's doing. Because look at this next passage. Uh, this is a great verse just to memorize in verse 15. It says, so the people all sat down. Just memorize that. Put that on your mirror or something. If you need a verse to I got Jesus wept, and so, so all the people sat down. And I think this is crazy because you don't see, and they complained about sitting down. I'll be honest, like, when I'm hungry, I'm not the nicest person. Any hangry people in the house this morning? That's you, and, and you know who the person is next to you. like, oh, yes, yes, that's Billy. He is the most hangry person. Susan is the worst. Don't, don't tell her to sit down. She would punch you and then eat your arm. Like, there, there's a thing. There's a thing about when people are in desperate need that we don't respond well to someone saying, sit down and wait for a second. But Jesus says, sit down and wait for a second. Sit down. Breathe. Get in groups of 50. Calm down. I've got this. And they're in this place, place in Bethsaida that is a wilderness. There's not a lot going on. It's a, it's, it's, they looked around. They knew there wasn't enough food in the area to take care of everybody. But I think the people there, the audience there, knew something was about to happen because they'd been hearing Jesus teach all day long about the kingdom of God. And they'd been seeing him heal the sick. And they knew their history. Jewish people knew their history because they knew that God was not a stranger to providing in the wilderness. I mean, that's what you need to hear this morning, that Jesus is not a stranger to providing in the wilderness. In the place where you're at, where in, your, in, your, in, your, in your life, in your thing, you're like, I can't make it any further. I'm not sure what else is for me. No one notices me in my hurt, in my pain, and I'm alone. Jesus is not a stranger to the wilderness and providing for his people there. And so the people sat down and wanted to see what God would do next. And so we see in the next verses, what goes on is Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And I love this passage because there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's some winks to some things here. One is that it was a throwback to when Jesus, when God provided for the people of Israel in the, in the desert years ago, when they were in the desert 40 years. And Jesus provided, or God provided for them day and night in the wilderness, bread from heaven that came from places. And, and, it's, and it's honestly, a year later, Jesus will be sitting at the Passover with his disciples at the Last Supper, breaking bread, looking to heaven, and saying, this is my body broken for you. And I can imagine these disciples, when they're telling this story to Luke and they're telling this story to other people at the 5,000, it was hard for them to separate those two things out because what they saw was that God looked at every individual of that 5,000, 20,000 people and said, I care about your, every single one of your needs and I will break this bread so it can provide for you. And then Jesus who says, hey, this is my body broken for you. That I'm gonna provide for you. I'm providing a way. And he died on the cross and rose again and conquered death saying, I care about you. I'm providing for you life eternal. I'm providing for you a, a life that gives beyond what you can ever experience or ever imagine or ever hope for. I've got something so much greater. And so the disciples are seeing this and it's this foreshadowing. They don't even notice it, but when I'm sure when they tell this story, they have to know that Jesus is not a stranger of creating things out of nothing. Because Jesus was there in the very beginning, right? In Genesis, it says that God spoke into the void. Just spoke in the void and there was light. Out of nothing came something. And that's what happened as he begins to tear the, the fish 
or the bread and, and the fish and begins to distribute it. Because I'm sure there's people that were doing math in their head. And I think it was almost quiet, like eerily quiet on this hillside. They probably like hear a seagull or something. But they hear that bread tear. Think, okay, there's one loaf. There's another. Okay, he should be running out anytime. And before long, like this group of 50 has been fed. This group of 50 has been fed. And before long, the whole people, and, and everybody was fed. In fact, the next passage, verse 17, it says, they all ate as much as they wanted. It wasn't like, well, I can only have a little bitty bite and then we'll be good. He said, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers. And, and, and here's the deal. It's, it's this crazy thing about it, but God will always do immeasurably more than what we can hope for or ask for or imagine. That God is gonna do more. And the reason he gave 12, I don't think it was like to just rub it in the disciples' faces. It's like, hi, each one of you gets a basket so I can show to you that you're just, you don't have faith in me. I think he said, I covered everybody and there's more to give. I do not run out of my goodness. I do not run out of my, my ability to, to, to give you power and give you strength. I do not run out and you need to see that. And, and here's the deal. This, this kid, can you imagine this kid who just had the, the, the bread and the fish? I kind of feel like they might have just given him like leftovers. I don't love, anybody here love leftovers? This is the season of leftovers. You should be excited. You should bring Tupperware on Thursday. Like wherever you're going, just have like a couple, couple of containers. Like I'm gonna take some home and I'm gonna eat something. And I love that this kid who came out with just, just a little bit of food came back with a basket full of food, more than likely. He says, mom, you're not gonna believe what happened to the lunch you gave me today. You're not gonna believe what, he just gave what had in his hands and God multiplied it in amazing ways. And the disciples, they just took what Jesus did and, and distributed it. They just gave it out. And the people that were there just received it. They didn't argue and say, well, I'm on a keto diet, so I'm gonna just need the fish, all right? They're like, no, man, I'm just gonna take it. I wanna receive it. And I think sometimes we get lost in things sometimes where we think, man, God, look at, we can list all the things that are going wrong. We miss all the things that God's providing for us. The air we breathe, the friends we have, the people that are around us, we miss it so often. And God's just reminding that he's doing something greater than what we can ever hope for or imagine. So let's come back to that question about generosity. And really begin to ask that question, how do I become generous? How do I begin to like, not just give what's needed, but to sacrifice something, to, to go beyond what the norm is. And some of your folks that are in college, you're like, I have nothing, nothing, nothing at all. I live off free food. I'm taking, I, <laughs> there you go. I've got, I've, got a, I've got like a little thermos and I fill it with coffee here that lasts me the whole week. I just water it down because that's all I have. I've got nothing. Or some of you, you're a single mom and you're trying to work and you're trying to take care of your kids. You're like, I have no time left. I have no energy. Or maybe you're a family, you've got like 16 kids and you have a bus you take everywhere. And you're like, I've got no time. I've got no space. And we can do all the things to point to Jesus and say, I can't give money. I can't give time. I can't give emotionally. I can't do anything. I think Jesus is saying, listen, you're maybe trying to do more than I'm asking. You're trying to take this big chunk. I want you to look what... What is in your hands? What have I given you? Take that because we need to remember this thing. I said it earlier and I want us to remember, maybe write it down, is this. Jesus calls us to serve people, not a place. The people in front of us, the people around us, not just show up at church, but serve the people right there. Because I'll tell you what, I know that we're, we're looking at here at Public Church, the, the dream is, is to, to build a space where we can fit everybody in. 
And if we're like, well, I just hope that they can get a space and fit, fit everybody, I, I, wanna, I just want to throw this out there. If we care individual to individual about individuals, there will never be a space big enough to hold all the people that need Jesus. There will never be a space here. And a lot of us are like, well, someone else is going to carry that weight. Let Todd do it. Let Cody do it. Let, let whoever do it. No, no, no. You. What can you do? Because if you have an individual tied to your heart, you will do whatever it takes to provide, to love, to care for them, even if it hurts, because you know that Jesus put them there in your hands to do it. So start with what you have. That boy just gave his lunch, man. He just gave his lunch. That was it. He didn't have a lot of things. He said, I've got two lunches. He had the one. He was probably dreaming about that lunch. He's like, I'm going to give it away. It's the simple things. Do the simple things. Don't try to take the big chunk of things. And, and, and we can start with little bitty things that, that just change our mindset. I don't tell anybody to go write a big check today or just like, hey, I'm going to feed everybody. I'm going to KFC because no one goes there. And I'm going to just give away as much chicken as I can today. And like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying do the small things. In fact, I've got a friend of mine. He's got two kids. He and his wife have these two kids. One, uh, the oldest one, his name is Lincoln. He's about four and a half years old. And I've got a kid, but I really think Lincoln's super cute. <laughs> to be honest, like he may be cuter than my daughter, but don't tell her. But she's only 17 months and she won't remember this and we'll erase this tape. So when she's old enough, she won't be like crying as a teenager. But here's the thing. Lincoln, Lincoln is pretty cool and they have great family and, and, and grandparents like bless. Grandparents, this is what you do. Like you just give your kid, you get noisy toys and then you give them to the kids and leave them at their house. And you're like, here, just have that. And so Grant, our grand, and Lincoln, Lincoln has a lot of toys. And so they sat down the other night, uh, Adam and Amanda, uh, his parents, and they sat down like, man, he has a lot of toys. What are we going to do with all this? And so Adam just went full grant. She's like, well, let's just put them in a bag and take them away <laughs> and give them away to somebody. And Amanda, being the voice of reason, said, listen, what if we sit down with Lincoln and say, hey, Lincoln, you've got some toys. You have great toys. Some of your toys are broken, and we need to just throw those away. And you've got some toys you just don't play with very much, and you've got some other toys you really love. Why don't we sit down and find some toys to give away? Because there's kids out there that just don't have a lot of toys. And so they, they, they proposed this to Lincoln and his four-year-old mind's like, okay. And so Lincoln sat there and he sorted out his toys. The broken one's broken. But you know what he did that's different than what you and I do sometimes? Where we, when we're, we think about giving away, we go send something to Goodwill. We give like the thing we haven't worn like in a really long time. Or we give away the things that like are out of style. What Lincoln did was like, there's some toys that he loved that he put in the pile to give away. It cost that little dude something. But what's so cool about that is it's not a big effort. It's a small thing. What these parents have done, though, is frame for their child a spirit of giving, that means sacrifice, to care for other stuff. So what we need to do, the first thing is, if we're going to be generous, if that's the heart that we're going to have, then we need to start with what we have and give that to Jesus. Give what you have to Jesus, whatever's in your hand, whatever time you have, and, and let God maybe tell you to take some of that and throw it out. You don't have to do all the things you're doing. Maybe you're way too busy. You need to cut some things out. Maybe you have a lot of time. And you're just, man, you're Netflixing all the time. You need to let that go. Or Fortnite is just your life. I don't know who you are, but it's what you do, right? You're on Twitch and you have a whole account and it's embarrassing. And so I'm not talking to anybody in particular, but if that's you, let's talk later. <laughs> but, but give what you have to Jesus. And the, the whole lunch was in, the whole lunch, that whole lunch that boy gave fed everybody, fed 20,000 people. Because he's willing to do that. The second thing is this, and this puts us in the, in, the, in the place of the disciples, is this, is we give what we have to Jesus, but then serve the people in front of you what Jesus gives you. 
If our hands are open in front of Jesus, if we're standing there saying, God, you can take whatever you want and you can give me whatever you want. And I will take what you give me and give it to whoever you put in front of me. And that, that kind of spirit changes things because it is not us manufacturing things. A lot of us wear ourselves out trying to do something for God when God's like, if, if you'll just be hands open in front of me, I will do something amazing. You watch me work through you and you get to be a part of the blessing. That is not meant for you to tag and say, look what I gave away today and put it on your Snapchat story or throw it on your Instagram. Look what I did today. I gave away all this stuff. No, 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 no. This is what Jesus did. He gets the headline. He gets the, the praise. He gets the glory. And, and when we can get this place, sometimes we kind of feel like we want to be like these little minor Christian celebrities where people like cheer our name and say, oh, I just want to be as holy as you are. Or like, oh, you're the next Lou Giglio or whatever. And we need to be in a space to say, it's God, it's God, it's God. Jesus has done this for me. And I just want to give whatever he puts in my hands back to the people. Because the third place is that we celebrate, we celebrate the measurably more. Because I guarantee you, when we stand in front of God and say, God, I'm giving you what I've got, and it may not seem like a lot, but I'm giving you what I got, that he's going to do more than we could ever hope for, ask, or imagine. That is a fact. That is truth from Scripture, that he will do more than we could hope for. And that's not to mean that you'll have your $1.4 million home. But what you will see is there will be things that God will do through you that you never thought could happen. There will be things that will happen that people's lives will be changed because we have said, I care about people more than the place. I care about Jesus more than anything else in my life, and I'm, my hands are open for him to do more, and that should take the pressure off of us. It should take the tunnel vision away from what can I do, what can I produce, what can I do, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, and it reminds us to look up and celebrate what he's done and remember what he's done and remember that he gave his life for us on the cross and remember that he's done all these things and we can emulate what he does. And in this passage, I think one of the most powerful things in this passage, if you read the context throughout, is the first, Jesus is trying to get away, to, 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 to pray and just to get away, to be with the Father. And in the middle of the time, when he's providing, when he is the one providing, he looks up to the Father one more time. So the, in the, before, in the middle, and at the end, he actually does get away and spend time with the Father. And that's the place for us to start, to emulate and say, God, wherever you have me, I have my hands open. I wanna stand here and you do whatever you need to do through me. And this, this morning, I think there's a lot of us in the room that are probably just holding on to stuff. Holding because we can't see, if, if I let it go, what happens? It's a relationship, it's, a, it's, it's our time, it's our money. If I let that go, what happens to that? Some of us that don't have anything, we're wondering what we need to do. And so this morning, I wanna challenge us to, to, to let go, to open our hands before God. So I'm gonna ask us just to stand. And this isn't some kind of weird gimmick or this is not kind of, some kind of crazy thing that I want us to do, but I want us to get in a position of saying, God, I, you just take whatever. So we're gonna pray and in a moment. We're gonna pray and I'm just gonna ask you to put your hands out in front of you. You can put your hands out in front of you or put your hands up, whatever you wanna do. And it's not to, like to get a trick to say when the music starts, then we're gonna praise our hands, yay. That is not the point. The point is for us to be in a place where we're just open for God of surrender. It's like, whatever you want me to do, I'm standing here before you, you do what you need to do. And, and, and a lot of us, if you're like me, you're a schemer where you think, well, God, if you give me this, I already know what I'm gonna do with it. Maybe you thought about that mega millions, you bought a lottery ticket and you're like, Lord, if you give me that money, I will obviously give it to the church. <laughs> I will give all these things and I'll give my plan away, just let me have that. And, and, and I'm the same way. Like I, there's times where I kind of bargain with God, like if you give me this opportunity, then this is what I'll do with it. And not say, God, give me the opportunity and you can do whatever you want with it. So this morning is not about a gimmick or a scheme. If your heart's not there, then I don't, I, I'm not asking you to do anything other than to say, if you're here this morning, and you're burdened with a lot, or you're confused about what's next, maybe this morning the place for you to, have to start generosity in your heart is just to be hands wide open to God. 
and a heart abandoned to God to say, do whatever you want to do. So let's bow our heads. And if you're with me, if you're, if you're in a place this morning with your heads bowed and, and you're like, God, I want you to do something with my hands, with my life. I want to be generous. I want to give. I want to live a poured out life, but I need you to pour in. So I'm just going to have my hands open. So put your hands out or hands up, whatever you need to do this morning. Just have them there and just, just pray with me because some of you are in a space, God, where your prayer just needs to be, God, please open my hands. Open my hands just to, to take the things that are in my hands right now and do something with it. Whatever I have, even if it's just a little, God, you want to do something through me that's bigger than what I can do on my own. So God, I just open my hands for you to move with what little I have, because I really don't have a lot anyway, that I want you to move in me. Maybe this morning you're, you're at the space where God has given you so much, but you're scared to give it away because you're like, what happens if I give it away? And so your hands are open this morning because your prayer is, God, help me give it away that people are there. I'm not trying to manufacture something. I want you to work through me. You've given so much. Let me give to others. And maybe you're here this morning and you just simply need to receive You've been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. Or maybe you don't even know the Lord and your life is at this space of like, I don't have any other hope. And I need you, Jesus. Just have your hands open to say, God, I need you. Maybe for the first time this morning, there's someone here that just says, I need you this morning, Jesus. I want to have a life that this extravagant love you talk about is something I want because I've never experienced any other love that, that just, I just want a love that has no conditions. So give me that. So Father, we pray this morning, our hands open to you, that you would do a work in us that doesn't last just a Sunday morning, but flows into the week, that we would be in this posture every day, maybe this week, just to say, God, my hands are open, do what you need to do. My heart is open. I stand here wanting you to work and do whatever you need to do. Father, we love you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving us your life. Lord, help us to look and say, God, I wanna love people like you. I wanna see individuals like you. We love you. We thank you for everything in your name.